listener. Hi everyone, Greg Rust with you for The Showroom, one of a cool new range of podcasts brought to you by a listener and powered by the team that know everything when it comes to motor vehicles, carsales.com.au. Just like any shiny showroom you might walk into with fancy lighting, slick decor, even a little rotisserie with that new car turning around on it, our virtual showroom will have a different car sales expert joining me on the panel each month. We've given ours a spin. Sam Charlwood was the lucky winner of Wheel of the Fortune, or Wheel of Fortune rather, for show one. Hello, mate. Welcome. Hello, Rusty. Hello, everyone. Look, great to be joining you. I'm really, really excited about this. I'm very fortunate to be part of this massive editorial team, and every week we're out there in the field doing new car road tests, doing launches, comparisons, reviews, advice, video, you name it, it's there. So this is going to be a lot of fun. If you're not already in the best job in the world, can we just underscore two wheels, four wheels, bit of MotoGP broadcasting on Channel 10. You are living the dream, aren't you? Oh, look, I'm pretty fortunate, Rusty. I'll give you that. But yeah, look, I have a lot of fun and I'm very fortunate. You might say, some might say you've drawn the short straw being on this debut episode. I think it's awesome to have you with us, mate. Coming up in this first episode, we're going to talk Ford Ranger and specifically the hero of the range, the new Raptor. And you have been to the launch, haven't you? I have. I was really fortunate. Let me let me paint a picture for you. So I've heard some pretty legendary stories of you in high cars, right? The ones you pick up from <laughs> the airport. We're not airing those here, Sam. <laughs> no, we're not going to. But you imagine the worst damage you could inflict on a higher car, and then I want you to go fivefold because that's basically the free reign we were given at the Ford Ranger Raptor launch. And I'm really looking forward to our guest today to, to bring us some of the insight into how the development process came about and what went into it as well. We're going to talk about buying online as well. It's the way that many consumers are already doing that through platforms such as this one. But what about the shift, Sam, by manufacturers? It's it's really changing, Rusty. I mean, gone are the days. It still exists. If, if you want to go into a showroom, kick tyres, try and haggle a deal, you can do that. But there is now this new wave of online buying. So today we're going to be chatting to a brand new European brand in Australia that's going to give us an insight into how that process works and what the benefits are. And they're totally committed to that path as well. That's going to be a good conversation. Sam, how much would you pay for a very special Subaru? Because you and I have spotted an ad for a a secondhand car, Colt Subaru, that is set to blow records out of the water. I think if we say... Colin McRae. Is that oh, giving away too much? Beautiful. Nice little clue there. But look, it's listed on car sales and we're going to be chatting to Road and Track, the guys that are responsible for selling it. You can be a part of it too. Uh, voice memo, voice memo. I don't know which is the correct way of saying it. <laughs> on your phone, 30 seconds. All you need to do is record your question, send it in, or you can just do a normal email if you like, the traditional way, podcast at carsales.com.au. What is the correct pronunciation of that? Memo? Memo. I'm going to say memo, memo. but I could be wrong. Okay, he's one of the cool kids. We've got Sam Charlwood with us for this episode. Just a reminder too, naturally EVs are on the radar for many of you and we will tackle that from time to time here on the showroom. But for a deeper dive on this segment or in this segment, everything that's happening, don't forget you can join me and Nadine Armstrong for the dedicated What's Under the Bonnet podcast. We're going to celebrate some special awards on this podcast too, car sales has a number of special trophies that it hands over each year. And the judging process for you guys is is quite detailed, isn't it? 
It's very detailed. I mean, you alluded to the the wheel of fortune before. We're lucky <laughs> enough to be producing these great bits of content pretty much every month now. Some fairly decent cachet around those award wins too for the manufacturers. Will this next car we're about to talk about be in time one of those award winners? That leads us to this month's major launch. By definition, a hero car, right, is the original in a movie that you gravitate to, perhaps something sporty, muscle car maybe, but in the four-wheel drive and SUV segment that we are obsessed with in this country, the Ford Ranger Raptor uh, in our part of the world has genuinely earned that that hero status. Fittingly, Sam Childwood was at the launch very recently and we thought we'd get Justin Capacchiano from Ford Performance on to take the covers off for our podcast audience. Justin, g'day. How are you going? Justin, it's great to chat with you again and so cool to, to be along at the launch recently. For me, this sort of really does introduce the super ute to the segment. And I don't mean I that lightly that. because, oh, it, genuinely, Rusty, it, it this is next level. The performance envelope here is, is huge. And we were given free reign, Justin, as you know, we had jumps on the day, we had different surfaces, and we were able to treat these things as meanly as we liked, and they stood up to all the punishment, which got me thinking, how gruelling was the engineering process Is if this is what you allowed us to do in them? <laughs> Yeah, it, it's a very strenuous um, testing process. And, and for something to be called a Raptor, it's a brand, right? Um, and it's something that the North American Ford Performance team treat really seriously. So to, for a vehicle to be called and to earn the Raptor nameplate, you've got to do and you've got to achieve a certain level of testing and development through the build. So, you know, we have to do a minimum of a 1,000 miles of off-road, what we call desert endurance testing, which is taking a Raptor, take it up to Alice Springs. In this instance, we take it to the Alice Springs Buggy Club. We did over a 1,000 miles of uh, of testing at Alice Springs at, at race pace, right? So, And the car's not allowed to have any significant breakages other than sort of fuel tyres and, and in consumables, right? So having that DNA and, and, and making sure that the brand stands for something and, and making sure that when we put Ford Performance and Raptor on something, that the customer knows that that's a real thing. And we did it with the previous one. And what we wanted to do this time was to say, okay, we, we've learned a lot of lessons from that truck. Let's get that and let's add speed. Let's add capability. And let's still make sure we can do all those off-road endurance things. And then let's let's call it the, the new Raptor. You mentioned Alice Springs there, Justin. Yep. A lot of people might recognise the the term, the, the Fink Desert Race, the event that happens every year. It's one of the most gruelling off-road events. If you've never seen it, just go on YouTube and have a look because it's cars, bikes, buggies just going through this absolute there and back torture test. Realistically, Justin, if you wanted to line up on the start line of the Fink Desert Race in a Raptor, what would you need to change? Safety equipment and that's about it. That's it? Yeah. That's, um, that's awesome. And we know it because we've done it. Right, so we, we we know what the car's been capable of um, at Alice Springs, and again we've done tuning at Love Day Four by Four Park, which is again another off road racing track, and it, the amount of abuse that the car can take is is genuinely quite astonishing. And then the speed at which you can cover ground in for a production vehicle is uh, even for me when I was getting in it was quite astonishing. Right, so to do something like that, yeah, look, I mean, you know, have we been curious about motorsport? Yes. Would we want to see what the car can do in the future? If we can find the right time and the right event and the right 
team to sort of go in there with. I think that's something that we'd really be interested in in the future. I work on the Fink Desert Race coverage, so I will be looking for the uh, Justin Capacchiano entry in next year's race, mate. That'll be, <laughs> that'll be really quite cool. Yeah. Hey, hey, quickly, I, I attended the new Ranger launch in New Zealand in July, and it was a great reminder of the input that the Australian team had on the design and engineering globally. But but is it the same for Raptor, the input that, that you've had and the impact you've had? Yeah, absolutely. And and it's a global vehicle, right? So the work that we're doing on Raptor here isn't just for Australia and New Zealand. Um, you know, the Raptor engineering and design work that we do has to work in Europe. Raptor is is a massive, massive nameplate in Europe. We sell almost 20% of our ranges in Europe are Raptors. And we've got to design and engineer a vehicle that, that works here. But the fundamental elements of what makes the Raptor the Raptor need to be consistent. So the Raptor that we're doing here is very similar to the Raptor that's going over into Europe. Uh, it's very similar to the vehicle that goes over into the States next year. So, Justin, one of the only real criticisms of the original Raptor was that it had that that four-cylinder diesel engine that was common within the, the Ranger family. A lot of people said it probably needed something, a little bit point of difference, and the new twin-turbo V6 well and truly addresses that. I want to know, there was rumours a couple of years ago about a V8 making an appearance. Did that ever come onto your radar at that point, at, at the development stage? No, I, I, it's quite funny, actually. I mean, I think as a program guy, you always want to look at every avenue and every opportunity that comes up, right? So do you want to discuss different powertrains? Absolutely, right? You're not doing your job if you're not. Um, did it ever go anywhere beyond a conversation? No, right? And that was um, that was pretty obvious from the start. And the reason for that is, for one, you want to have low-down torque uh, and, two, you want to be able to have an extended plateau of torque so that you can basically get drive out of corners. Where you don't want it is purely sitting up top. And with the powertrain that you guys are proposing, which is the, the Coyote V8, which is similar to what we've got in the F-150 and the, and the Mustang, it produces its power and torque really high up in the rev range. You know, when we looked at the the, the ingredients of what makes a, an off-road truck, didn't make for a really compelling discussion for us. Sure, it had sound grouse. And I think everyone loves the sound of a V8, but the V6 turbo is the right powertrain for us because it enables us to sort of get the right amount of drive out of the corners. And, you know, with the technology that we've got in the system at the moment, you know, in Baja mode, you've got anti-lag, you've got a bunch of other cool features that we've tipped into the a turbocharged power plant, it really makes the car feel incredibly urgent and lively out of corners. So that leads us to something Sam and I were talking about before um, we came on today, and it's probably very hard for you to narrow down, mate. Is there a favourite performance attribute in this car that you've got or you can't you can't single out one? No, well, you know what? Like, I think the first time that I drove the truck, I was just so blown away by just how fast the thing was and it's one of the things that does we don't necessarily talk too much about in a big truck but the steering is so much more dynamic now than the previous generation faster rack quicker to turn in a lot more responsive on initial off center feel and and sam you would have known that from the launch when you sort of tip the car in you can really sort of get it to have a little bit of rear steer coming in and that was something that i just i I really liked it's it's not something that you can see it's only when you start exploring the element of the vehicle, do you start finding those little nuances that we've changed? And for me, for from a customer perspective, and that's ultimately what I need to be is when I'm driving this is you drive the car and you say, that's something that the customer is going to really like. 
it's not something that we sing too loudly about, but it's something that I think we're, I'm really proud of is just how far they've come with, with elements like that. It's those things that you can't see on the label that, that we've done and we've spent time on that, that I think really will, will customers will find value in. Justin, before we let you go, we are all trying to forget that horrible word pandemic, but much of this process, I would imagine, for the creation of Raptor probably even started before COVID, but the bulk of it may have accelerated and and happened during that period. How did the team adapt? And are there things that you're doing now for future models that you've kind of woven into standard practice that you've you've learnt maybe during that period? Yeah, I I think, you know, the pandemic was really tough and trying to find the ability to get all the team in the locations that we needed to be in to do the testing was really hard. Our Alice Springs testing fit within a very small window of opportunity of lockdowns closing versus lockdowns restarting. What we were able to do is, you know, because we were classified as a manufacturer, we were able to do elements of our work, very, you know, small elements. And we had a very small dedicated team doing that during the pandemic. We had a really good fundamental base from the vehicle. We had a good data set and we knew what was actually going to go into the car and how it was going to change the vehicle. So, I, th- I suppose what we could condense in some of that physical testing, we actually ramped up in the digital, you know, and call all the virtual phase of testing so that we did a lot more in the virtual side and then took a lot more learnings into the physical side later on. So, you know, even when we were tuning the exhaust, you know, we could do stuff digitally before we ever got into playing in the in the physical vehicle, whereas previously you would have constantly just been reiterating physical exhausts and valve tunes and stuff, but we could do a lot of that digitally now. The proof is in the end product, all the great work that's uh, that's gone into it. Um, thanks for letting Sam go along to the launch. Privately, I'm gutted I wasn't there. That's a story for another time. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for coming on and sharing a bit of that, dare I say it, overused term, the journey of, of the creation of this car and well done to you and the team. No, thanks. I think everyone that we've... Um, had on the program is, is super proud of it and we can't wait for it to get into the hands of the customers and get them to experience it for themselves because it's one thing to hear it from us it's another thing for them to experience it for themselves and of course you can read and watch all of the details of the ford ranger raptor launch on the car sales website carsales.com.au Time for a little segment we like to call unpopular opinions, stuff that's floating around your grey matter on cars, driving, manufacturer moves, maybe the odd fail that's even happened in the past month or so. What do we think? What do you think? Is anyone even actually thinking this segment idea through? Unpopular (laughs) opinions. Sam, it's time for yours. The more new cars I drive, the more nostalgia I have for the classics. Let me tell you why. I drive about 100 different new cars every year. And don't get me wrong, it's amazing. You're experiencing the latest tech, the latest drivetrains, safety every single day. So there's no complaints there. But I had a bit of a wake-up moment the other day. I was out at my parents' property. I had to run some stuff across town in my dad's 1991 Toyota Land Cruiser Ute. So it's a tray-back 75 series. It started life as white, but now it's kind of a a rusted patina off-white sort of finish. And it has 760,000 kilometres on the odometer. 760 original kilometres. Just crazy. I got in it. 
I waited for the glow plug to do its thing and then off I went. I had the vibration, <laughs> knowing all the engine and gearbox idiosyncrasies, knowing when to change gear, knowing that it didn't like going into first gear. And I was just driving it from A to B, but unlike every other recent new vehicle in memory, I was doing so much more than that. I felt like I was working with it. If I wanted to change the cabin temperature, I just simply touched a bit of switch gear. I didn't have to go through different touchscreen menus. If I wanted to wind down the window, I just wound it down. So my big annoying thing, are we missing something with modern design? Are we missing the engagement, the involvement that you're supposed to get with a vehicle with all of the new tech in it? Because I don't know, it was just a bit of a a, a eureka moment in this old Land Cruiser ute and it it gave me something that I haven't had in a new car for a long time. For me, it's experiential, isn't it? Now, that might have a whole heap of quirky things that you end up hating from play in the steering wheel or behaviour of the gearbox or whatever it might be, but there is something immensely intoxicating, that's not the right word to use in a driving or (laughs) car-related program, but but there is something something really powerful about that experience, right? And I totally, totally get it. One of our colleagues, Michael Taylor, who's done some stuff with car sales over time and written for magazines over the years, I can vividly recall, mate, him doing a magazine article on the death of the stick shift. And at the time, it really hit me for all the reasons that you're talking about. It, it, It is a part, everything that you have to juggle in that process is a part of the joy of all that experience. And I know... Uh, people that are tech savvy and and younger kids that might like a lot of the innovation that we have in modern cars would think that's a, a little bit weird. But when you try and do that juggle, I learned on a column shift manual of all things, and to get all that stuff right and in sync and flowing was just this joy that is very hard to replicate with modern day cars. I totally, totally get where you're coming from. I'm glad you do. And I think if you were driving this thing every day, yeah, it would send you bonkers. But as, a, as an occasional driver, which is basically what my, my dad drives trucks, but this thing sort of sits in the back of the shed for most of the week, it was such a nice throwback. And I just think in the face of everything that's coming on, everything that's new, this, nothing has the one-to-one engagement that this old Land Cruiser did. You're a proud dad. Do you reckon your young fella is going to appreciate that? I hope so. If he doesn't, then I probably haven't done my job properly. Then, have I? <laughs> <laughs> but Rusty, enough of me. What about you? Your unpopular opinion is? My unpopular opinion is that not all cars will be the same in the future. If I had a dollar for everyone who tells me that cars of the future are just going to be like these boring white boxes on wheels that will pull up to your door, take you to your destination, all the same, no point of difference – I would have some drachmas in the bank, right? Do they even exist anymore? I think they're, they're, <laughs> I it's, the Euro, it's the Euro now, isn't it? Right. So, yeah. so will we end up in a future episode of the Jetsons all roaring around in nearly identical machines? No. And the simple reason why is because as human beings, even manufacturers, we love to personalise, to customise, to have point of difference. You don't want to all – you might be inspired by what someone's got down the road, but you'll have – different wheels or you'll have a different colour. I I just cannot see us. Yes, there might be a level, Sam, of automation in this if we really get to that point and when where it's just a, you know, a driverless car or machine picking you up. I don't know how far down the track that is, but will they all be the same? A fridge in the sky? Can't see it. Yeah, gee, I hope not. That that prospect really scares me, but I have genuine faith that there's going to be enough differentiation. It probably won't be the differentiation that we've had 
in years gone by. Like an example of that is electrification. You drive enough electric models, there is a point of difference between each one, but the gap is narrower. But what I will say, the car that really surprised me, I I struggled to kind of get my head around the electric car thing and then I drove a Porsche Taycan and it drove like a Porsche. So I have faith. Nadine is bringing one into the studio for the next episode of What's Under the Bonnet, and I'm very excited about that. That's a story for another podcast, which you can find on the listener and car sales affiliated uh, network here. So go looking for that, What's Under the Bonnet. If you've got an unpopular opinion, might be on a classic that you think should never be brought back, a feature that a manufacturer may have introduced in recent time that you're not sold on, get on the open line, podcast at carsales.com.au. You can email it, or as I said before, even record a little 30-second voice memo on your phone and send it in. We'd love to get you on the show and tackle it head on. Time for a little bit of news. Plenty of it about, as there always is, in the avalanche of automotive and motoring news, which has, you know, a virtually unpredictable cycle. Here's a couple of things that you may not know. Firstly, Porsche investing in e-fuels. Yeah, I'm pretty happy about this one as, a, as an enthusiast, Rusty, and I reckon you would be too. And a lot of people at home, imagine if you had a pristine 993 generation 911 sitting in the garage and all of a sudden the fuel you used to run it disappeared. It'd be a bit of a crying shame to say the least. Do you agree? Agreed. Yeah. Well, Porsche is addressing that because they're investing heavily in synthetic fuel, carbon neutral synthetic fuel, and one of their plants is going to be situated near Burnie in Tasmania. So a $1 billion facility that's going to produce up to 100 million litres of this stuff every year. And construction, I think, kicks off 2024. It'll be active by around mid-26. So this thing, pardon the pun, is going to actually, uh, you know, really accelerate. And they're going to use these fuels in conjunction with a couple of, uh, of key cars in their range significantly, I think, in Super Cup as well, aren't they? They are. They are. It's, it's great to see. We, we often hear this stuff about things being transferred from motor racing to production cars, but this is very much a case in point. So I think the guys that do, guys and girls that do have that older stuff in the garage or they do have something that is GT3-esque or high performance, they know that it will, will be coming straight from the circuit and they, they can have full faith in it. Now, resurgence in affordable rear-drive manual sports cars. I love this. I I caught a yarn by Callum Hunter in relation to Toyota 86, for example. Speaking my language now, Rusty. Look, we've had had a few this year. We've been really lucky. So the new Subaru BRZ launched earlier in the year. And the next one that's coming up is the Toyota 86. I was fortunate enough to drive a production, a a pre-production version of that vehicle at Sydney Motorsport Park earlier in the year had an absolute hoot in it, and um, I'm very, very thankful for the extra horsepower and bigger displacement that that car has because it makes it so much better than it ever was. It, not that the original was a bad car, but this new one just takes a big step forward. So, look, it's great to see these cars coming out. We also have the new Nissan Z. This is a new generation Z car. It's just great to see that there are affordable manual rear drive options still out there. And tapping into the great 
history that the that the brands have. Although eighty six is a is a relative um, a newcomer, if you like, in in the space, the Z has so much, doesn't it? It does. It does. I did a, a thing at Bathurst a few years ago, and uh, I was lucky enough to be part of the Z Club as part of that. And it's not until you kind of go to those events that you just see how deep this following runs for these kind of cars. So it's great to see it alive, and it's great to see it evolve with new incarnations of each model. So there you go, just a couple of quick headlines floating around. There is plenty of other news to satisfy your thirst. Make you go to carsales.com.au. Okay, it is hot topic time. For the first edition of the showroom, we thought our hot topic should be around buying online. We know car sales is very good about that, but what about buying direct from the manufacturer? You won't have to walk into a showroom on a Saturday morning and put up with the salesman. Rusty, what's your best haggling strategy before we get into it? Are you a lowballer? Oh, mate, do our haggling <laughs> strategies. <laughs> uh, what would be my best haggling strategy? I'm always at my wife and kids to, to think about a deal, and it's gotten so bad now, my wife comes to me when she's bought something and says it was 20% off before she tells me what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Love it. So Cooper is a subsidiary of Volkswagen. They sort of spun off the Spanish performance brand Sayat. But basically, they've just arrived in Australia and Ben Wilkes is the brand director of Cooper and he's been good enough to come on and join us. Hello to you, Ben. G'day, Sam. Thanks for having me along. This is a brand new performance brand, as I said, a subsidiary of Volkswagen, Benny. Not a heap of market awareness, but that is changing. So why the decision to opt for online sales and fixed pricing? I think the opportunity existed to do something in a, in a slightly different way. Cooper is, by its nature, is a, a brand that does things a bit differently. So it made sense to do something in a, in, a, in a new way as well, even from a, from, a, from a business operations and from a transaction point of view, there's good reasons for what we're trying to do to provide a level of transparency and, and ease of use ultimately for customers. Ben, it's Rusty here. I mean, you're talking about second biggest purchase most people will make in their adult life, right? So because of that, some people may still have this want to see it, experience it, try before buy, all that sort of stuff. How do you cater for that? Oh, absolutely. And this, and I think we should make this point really clearly that, you know, Cupra is a brand that is, you know, it's absolutely a, a, an experiential brand. It, it's, you know, we're not, we're not selling appliances here by any means. And so we think that all custom, almost all customers, certainly the you know, very, very high percentage of them will come to one of our uh, Cupra garages, we call them, effectively our showrooms and experience the vehicle. It's just that the, the the final transaction process, the offer to the customer, the contract to the customer, uh, is, a, is, a, is a digital solution that takes place between us as a manufacturer and the customer directly. And it's assisted by the agents as a, you know, acting as, a, as our agent, acting on our behalf to make sure that customers have the right experience to, you know, to, to reassure them of their choice. So, Benny, you mentioned the front half of the, the buying experience. So that, that all goes seamlessly, the transaction's done. But what happens then with after sales, servicing and warranty claims? Yeah, so fair. And, and this is where I think the automotive world is, is always going to have a combination of both physical and digital transactions. You're probably aware, Sam, that our um, initial offer includes three years of included servicing. We've then got the opportunity, um, it'll be available to all of our first customers and coming later this year to upgrade to five services, which you'll be able to do as a, again, as a, as a, a transaction online. 
we'll have a mix always of um, transactions between us directly and, and transactions the customer might have for, for other business that they might have with the agent. Um, a, a good example is window tinting, which is not a service that we provide, but it's a service that um, that customers might choose to, to have provided by one of our agents uh, or even a third party after that. So there'll always be a a variety of transactions. We're just trying to work on the transaction specifically around the vehicle to the customer. We're chatting with Ben Wilkes from Cooper Australia. The agency model, Ben, hasn't um, sat well with some in the in the dealer group. Um, how mindful have you you been of, of that? And and put simply, do you even need to be? Are you just sort of venturing off on on this this process and on your own path and committed to that? Yeah. Look, I mean, I, I, I won't comment on other businesses, of course, but I'd, I'd say what we have is a greenfields operation that we were able to. Uh, bring not just as an evaluation for customers, but also as an evaluation for our, our our Volkswagen Group dealers to say, would you like to be involved in an in a, an agency model that looks a bit like this? Uh, and I think that you know, for the customer, we see advantages in being able to offer a clear and transparent price, not just on the price of the vehicle, but also on the on the finance offer that we make. So good advantages for the customer. That's why we wanted to do it from that perspective. And then for the the agent as well, there's a degree of certainty that's involved there. They, they have an opportunity to work with us in a, in, a, in a new way. Now, at this point, our listeners might be asking themselves, what is Cupra? I'm telling you, take a look at the car sales website, the editorial section. You'll see the latest news, reviews, videos of their range. But basically, there are three models to begin with. There's the Leon which does everything from a nice mid-level hatchback through to a hot hatch, the Formenta crossover and the Ateca SUV. So three models, but increasingly as we move forward, Ben, there's going to be this big emphasis on electrification. So where do you see the Cooper brand going in terms of sales and its following in Australia? Yeah, I mean, for sure, the, the Cooper brand is uh, is very much about electrification uh, in the future. And I, I guess anyone who's spent a little bit of time around the brand uh, or done uh, some of the research earlier will see that kicking off electrification in Australia will be the arrival, um, and, and we're, we're just about to make uh, the um, these the first cars available of the plug-in hybrid Leon and Formentor. That's our, our first step in that direction. Uh, and of course, you know, most 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 famously will be the Cooper Born, which is arriving. Uh, open for orders at the end of this year and coming uh, coming to the country next year. We want to offer stuff that remains fun to drive and that doesn't just mean being able to accelerate in a straight line. That means things, you know, vehicles that are responsive, that the, the steering feels nice, that the um, uh, that the handling is uh, a resolved ride comfort but also, uh, you know, performance handling. Having those things all come together in an electric vehicle is where we think we're going to make um, a, a, a good impact. Ben, well done. Big mission all of this. Have there been some learnings along the way and what have those learnings been? I think, I think we'd have a very long segment, Greg, if we went through all of them. But <laughs> okay, I, I have to say we're doing things in a, you know, in a, in quite a different way uh, and that means setting up our business in, 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 a, in a quite a different way. So we're, you know, we're working very hard at the moment. I, I think that there's customers out there whose patience is being tested as we try to get as quickly as possible uh, a, a car delivered to them. That's, the, that's our biggest frustration at the moment. Well, Ben, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate you coming on the showroom and all the best with Cooper in Australia. Yeah, much appreciated. Thanks, Sam, and thanks, Greg. In the old days, you would have thumbed through the classifieds over a coffee, maybe told them they were dreaming. Jousting sticks. Got to love Daryl Kerrigan from the castle, don't you? Now, of course, you do it all online, on your phone. This particular ad for a used car leapt out at both Sam and I this month. They say it is the world's most valuable Subaru, ultra-rare, wide-body, 22B STI, 
around 800 grand's worth. So it's a unicorn, right? Only five came into Australia back in 1999, and Subaru made less than 425 of them in total. Ross Pendergast is from Road and Track, and he has the enviable job of selling this beauty, and we've tracked him down to talk about it. Ross, hello. Thanks. Hello. How are you? Tell us about this car and how much interest there's been in it. We've had a lot of interest in it. Very unusual car to begin with, and then to be in this kind of time capsule condition is is even rarer. Ross, for a lot of people, it, it's a time to kind of tighten their 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 budget a little bit. There's COVID, there's high inflation, there's rising interest rates. Are the people, the prospective buyers that are looking at this car, does any of that matter to them or they're willing to part with serious money? I think in times of uncertainty, it's not uncommon for people to look at alternative assets too, like cars. I mean, even go back to the GFC. More than that, though, with a car like this, it's really appealing to people's enthusiasm for for cars. It's an emotional attachment to something they had when they were younger or something they couldn't have when they were younger and just getting that into collection. The, the extension to that of the appeal is the story of the car, the history of the car. I think there is one in the Subaru Australia Museum. One of them went off to the Triple Five rally team and, and the rest in Australia were held by collectors. So, mate, this is ultra rare. And you talked about Ks before. It, it's got only just over... Three and a half thousand Ks, is that right? Yeah, and I think most of those probably came from the service team that was looking after the car. You know, probably, <laughs> I, I don't, Just one more lap of the block. Yeah, Just one more lap. I don't, <laughs> I don't think the owner drove it too much. He he realised it was a precious part of their sort of history of Subaru, and obviously this car was built to homologate a WRC car, which without this car you couldn't have had. And the car's very special, even when when they first released the car, they weren't a typical Subaru price. I mean, they were, they were a lot more than your standard WRX, probably three, three and a half times. Even when it first came out, it was an incredibly special car and, and the collectors that, that got them, if they weren't going out and racing them, but don't forget they were really built for racing and so a lot of cars did get raced around the world, not not only that triple five car that came to Australia, there was quite a few 22Bs that would have been rallying, but generally collectors knew what, what they were from an early early start. It begs the question, Ross, have you dared driven it around the block? Have you moved it in the showroom? (laughs) I've definitely moved it in the showroom. I've had the privilege of having a a few 22Bs in my own collection and to sell. This one just feels like it's brand new. That's cliche to say that, but just everything's so tight and like new. New car smell kind of thing as well, or feel. Well, it's almost, you open the door and it's like, you're stepping back into 1999. You get hit by that new car smell and um, all the memories flood back for when you probably visited a showroom when you are younger. And Of the special or rarer vehicles that have come across your desk there over time to sell, is this one kind of the goat? I think in the Japanese sector, yes. Even just thinking of um, Japanese cars, there weren't too many giants of motorsport, but Subaru were with the WRC and they, they came along and won world championships with their program. So that sort of uh, speaks volumes for the car. To you and the team from Road and Track, thank you very much for talking to us today. Go well with the sale of this amazing car and we look forward to seeing what price tag it ultimately achieves. Well, thanks, Rusty. Thanks, Sam. Almost every month, Car Sales has a best award to help consumers make the best 
choice in the various different vehicle segments. So this month we're covering best hot hatch. And Sam, a couple of Fords in this one. Yeah, this is a massive one, Rusty. We, when we think of hot hatch, we can go back 30 years, cars like the Peugeot 208, the Volkswagen Golf GTI, these small little runabout hatchbacks that have a little bit extra performance. They're a lot of fun on the road and they're nice practical cars to match. So this year for this award, we've got two Fords in the running and it's actually the Ford Focus ST that has taken out the award. We use a whole heap of different criteria to come up with the winner for this. So we're not just driving around on a circuit all day. We're looking at, of course, its driving characteristics, but also costs and ownership, insurance, safety and technology, after sales, the full gamut. And it was the Focus ST that came up winner after all of that. It's a really impressive little car, fun to drive, but really nice to be in all the time. Now, there can only be one winner. That's that an often overused line. But were there a couple of other standouts that maybe didn't take the gong this year in your mind? Yeah, look, it, it sounds cliched, Rusty, but honestly, all six of our finalists, so we have the Ford Focus ST, the Hyundai i30N, the Ford Fiesta ST, the Volkswagen Golf GTI, that's the new Mark 8 model, the Hyundai i20N, and the Volkswagen Polo GTI. They are all really great little hot hatches in their own way. So... That sounds like a cliched answer, but honestly, you, you drive away in any of these and you're going to find real positives to them. Um, for me, I love the hard-edge nature of the i30N as well, but I do agree the Focus ST is a fitting winner. And it's, of course, a panel of car sales experts that this process goes through, isn't it? It is. So we spend the better part of a week testing all of these vehicles in the same place, And it gives a really good indication. There's nothing like jumping out of one car into another to really ascertain the pros and cons of each vehicle. For us, it was the the ST that just did everything really well. So it might not be quite as hard-edged, you might say, as some other hot hatch rivals, but it's really playful and it's comfortable. But if you put it on a circuit, it's certainly not out of its depth. Now, in addition to this, unbelievably, because of, I guess, our our thirst for SUVs and four-wheel drives and so on, there's a bit of change for Ford with this car in this space, isn't there? Oh, it's a travesty. It is. It's an absolute travesty. Ford has axed the Fiesta ST and the Focus ST in the same month that we've come up with this award, pretty much to focus on utes and SUVs, as you say. So, it's really sad. There's always going to be appetite for hot hatches out there, but I think that the demand is shrinking, unfortunately, and this is the commercial reality. They're, they're moving away from them right when they're at the top of their game. I think, though, very cool uh, award to win. I mean, hot hatches for young people are still an immensely appealing thing, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, we all have the Ferrari or the Lamborghini on on the wall as a, as a kid, but these are the real-world affordable options, and... They're no slouches. Like over the years, we've been fortunate enough to do numerous big multi-car performance tests and quite often it is the Ford Focus ST or the Hyundai i30N that everyone wants to jump in for a pedal in because on the road, on a nice mountain pass, they're as fast and as fun as anything else and that's real-world supercars included. All right, 
don't forget as well for best EV, because I know many of you will have been thinking about that, you can go to our sister podcast. It's called What's Under the Bonnet, which you can find on the listener app or wherever you get your podcasts. All sorts of news and views in relation to EVs every month, and we'll tackle that award over on that podcast. We are nearly out of time. Sam, congratulations. You've set the benchmark. No pressure for the rest of them in the car sales team. <laughs> Good luck, Episode team. one. <laughs> Good luck. Well done to you. Uh, thank you for having me. That's been great. You've done a super job. And if you have enjoyed the podcast, we'd love you to tell your friends about it. Share the podcast. Feel free to leave a review. Get in touch with us, podcast at carsales.com.au. And we'll try and tackle some of your questions in relation to things that are happening in the new car and even the used car marketplace each month. So on behalf of all of our team, we'll catch you next time. Bye for now. Listener Production.